Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, like I said in the Bible class very briefly, you know, I'm really glad to be back in Savannah. Um, it's really refreshing to get to be with family in Indiana, to be with the church there. Um, and I always appreciate the opportunity to get to tell others about the good things that God is doing here. And it's just really encouraging all the different brethren around the country who care very deeply about um, the work that's going on here, the different struggles that we're enduring. Um, there's just very many people who are praying very fervently for the work that's happening here. And there's many brethren who are just very, very invested, um, not only in Eve and I, but um, in the whole work here. So I appreciate you letting us be away and um, being very zealous to cover the different responsibilities, teaching um, while I was away, and then also, as an extension, being sick for an extra week after that. Um, just love you all very, very much. And uh, there really is nowhere else that I'd rather be working um, than here in Savannah. It's just such an important work. Just appreciate you all so much. So this morning, um, we're going to be starting a series I'm going to be doing through the year on Titus. And scripture reading was in Timothy, which may seem deceptive, um, but this lesson is going to be on the overall role of an evangelist. So Titus deals a lot with roles, elders, older men, younger women, older women, younger women, uh, servants to their masters. And so it seems fitting to kind of start with me first. So this is going to be kind of a, a hard year of teaching. These are going to be really uncomfortable lessons for me to give, uh, probably uncomfortable lessons to hear because they're going to be very pointed, very personal in nature. But I want to point out something Look at chapter 2, so Titus, chapter 2, verse 1. And I should have said this. We read Timothy because we're going to get to Timothy. We're going to look at 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And the beginning of 1 Timothy kind of covers the role of an evangelist a bit more than the first five verses of Titus. So after saying some introductory things, I'll go back and we'll read Titus 1, 1 through 5. And we'll start kind of painting a picture of the role of an evangelist. Um, Titus chapter 2, verse 1 says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And after he then talks about different roles and different ways we are to be, in verse 15, the very last verse, notice he says, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And then look at chapter 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So similarly, 1 Timothy 4, uh, Paul tells Timothy, prescribe and teach these things. And that's repeated in 1 Timothy as well. And so I've kind of considered not just Timothy and Titus to be letters to evangelists that outline the overall nature of the work of an evangelist, but it's almost like Paul's telling Timothy and Titus, here's what you need to be especially focused on teaching on. Almost like he's giving Titus a sermon series and sermon outlines. Make sure you teach on these things. Every year I, I try to pick out things too that seem like as a theme for the year would be helpful for the growth of the church here. And I try to go back and forth between something in the Old Testament, something in the New Testament, and just the, the themes and the instructions in Titus, it seemed like it would be both very helpful for me and very helpful for our growth here as a local church. 
And like I said, uh, with the nature of these lessons, you'll notice uh, elders are to be, so that's going to be um, next month in March. And then uh, the last part of chapter one is how we are all to be sound in faith. And then chapter two, older men, older and younger women, younger men, servants. And then chapter two gets into some uh, general instructions at the end, what God's grace teaches us. And then chapter three, uh, we're to be obedient, ready for every good work, who we used to be and what God did for us. And then finally, what to avoid and who to reject. So I've never given a lesson like this before, the role of an evangelist, but I do think this is a very helpful lesson to give. Um, I want to encourage you that this lesson, you know, obviously uh, I'm working as the evangelist here, so it could kind of seem like, who are you talking to? (laughs) Like this is a lesson for you. Um, But with all of these lessons, I think there's going to be very relevant principles that we can all carry and take with us, both understanding each other's roles, our own roles better, but there's always going to be principles that if we're really listening, we'll always be able to apply more effectively in our lives. When I was single, wasn't married, and was trying to just be content being single, this is an illustration of this, my favorite sermons were on parenting. And I didn't have kids, and so there was no immediate, like, here's what I'm going to do with this lesson, but I just felt like the principles in parenting and what that said about love and relationships and responsibility, even as a single person, I thought it was extremely relevant. And so I, I, I loved listening to sermons on parenting uh, because I felt like, again, there was a lot for me to take away from it, even as a single person. So I would encourage you, you know, don't, don't shut off when I'm talking about older men, if you're a younger woman, or if you're a man and the lesson for older women, all of these things, and for this first lesson as well. And then I think the role of an evangelist is a bit surprising. You know, so usually I think the idea of an evangelist oftentimes is he's the person who has studies with people in the community. And that is very true. I think that's, that's a given that an evangelist ought to be someone who is particularly zealous for evangelism, for teaching the lost. It's, it's a teaching role. But if you've read First and Second Timothy and Titus, you may have noticed it doesn't say anything about how to have Bible studies with people in your community or with people who are lost. And it says everything about here's what you're to teach God's people. You, rem- you may remember, for instance, a good memory verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where Paul says, I write these things in case I am delayed, that one may know how he ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. So Paul tells Timothy, what I'm writing to you is so that you know how Christians are to conduct themselves in God's household. So they're very Christian-oriented instructions, which again, may seem surprising. So we're going to get into the role of an evangelist, and I'll start with 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 5, and then we'll kind of work through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, kind of summarizing some bullet points of what this work, what this work is and expectations we're to have with it. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason, I left you in Crete, 
that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So verse 5 particularly, I consider to be a mission statement. So we'll get into that more through the lesson. But I just want to say one more thing by way of introduction. Um, I want to make sure I don't forget to mention this. That this lesson is important for me because the call of an evangelist is a very high calling. Um, If you look back in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, it should be maybe on the same opening in your Bible. He tells Timothy, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. As I've been studying and preparing for this lesson, there's a lot of ways where what it really means to fulfill the ministry of an evangelist, as I'll outline it in this lesson, are things that I really need your prayers for, things that I really need to rekindle my zeal towards, things that I need to be more prayerful towards. So this lesson really is like a me-first lesson that I need to grow. I need to take the work of an evangelist much more seriously. And there are components of this work that I am much too timid about and tend to neglect or ignore. Um, And so there's, there's a sense of mutual accountability that comes with a lesson like this. So I want to start with what an evangelist role is not. And um, just kind of briefly pointing out some, I think, misunderstandings that I've witnessed or experienced. And they are things that I experience here with this church, but they're things that my dad has experienced in the past when he preached a long time ago. Things that a lot of older preachers that I respect have been through. Um, Conversations I've had preparing this lesson Um, with older evangelists and kind of asking them their input on a lesson like this. I want you to go back to Ephesians chapter 4. This will be the only departure we make from uh, Timothy and Titus. But I think you'll see the relevance when we read this. But I think the first thing we need to understand is an evangelist's role is not to be the most important person of a local church. It's not to be the personality of the local church, the face of the local church, And this is where the world really gets it wrong with thinking that the evangelist, or at least the person who seems to be in the role of an evangelist, they tend to call the pastor, um, when in actuality an evangelist is not the most important person. They are not meant to be the most important leader or sole problem solver. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and, and some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So you'll notice in verse 12 that all of these roles, whether it be the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, which all seem to include a teaching role in some way, that these are servant roles. That in verse 11, these are servant roles to equip others for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And I want to illustrate this this way. Um, I've got a friend, Sam Carter, in Minnesota. He's an engineer, and at one point, he designed important parts for fire trucks. And so they were things that firemen would use to save lives. So even though he did like this critical work behind the scenes, At the end of the day, who's the hero? Is it the person who did the equipping or the person who actually did the work with the tools they were given? 
Who's the one who, at the end of the day, is the person who's saving lives? So you could say that Sam had a big part in that. I mean, he designed the tools that they needed, the tools that they used, so he had a big part in it. But at the end of the day, at, at the end of the day he's ultimately lost far in the background, and the people who are noticed are the people who are working and using those tools in the end, right? So in verse 12, it's not that the evangelist is the most important person. It's that he's equipping the important people. He's giving the the church the tools that they need to then go out, use what they're given, and to do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. One more thing I debated to say on this before we move on. I went back and forth on whether or not to say this. But again, kind of with like being the most important person and all this stuff. A number of years ago, um, I used to, after a sermon, I'd go all the way to the back of the building and stand by the door. You know, that thing that preachers do. Um, so I used to do that, and I, I, I deliberately stopped doing that. It wasn't just that I just kind of stopped. I, I made a decision to stop doing that. And for me, there were, there were things about that that bothered me. And I think other preachers who do this, you know, don't have a bad attitude at all. It's nothing about others. But for me, at some point, I felt like it was putting myself forward too much, being too noticeable. Um, It felt like I was making myself too important, just being noticed too much. And usually what ended up happening is a line of people just ends up congratulating me (laughs) about like a job well done, which is not the point of a sermon to be congratulated And so it just felt awkward after a while, and it made me really uncomfortable. And so what I thought would be more modest and appropriate is I'll just sit down next to my wife because I'm just a part of the church like everybody else. And I don't want to give an impression that because Bryant gives a sermon, he's giving some kind of important performance, and then you need to make sure you talk to him before you leave or anything like that. I I went back and forth on bringing that up, but... Just as an example of, you know, an evangelist is not the personality of the church. He's not the most important person. And I have to be aware of that. You need to be aware of that. It's a serving and equipping role. And ultimately, it's a cooperative work, just another member of the church fulfilling some kind of function. So with that, I I know this one may sound weird, but an evangelist role is not the employee of a local church. And I'm not trying to scrutinize terms like we hired that preacher, we fired that preacher, you know, whatever. Terms are terms, no big deal. Um, but I just want you to think about this. When Paul worked with the church and was financially supported, was he like an employee of that local church? When Titus was left in Crete, was he left as the employee of the churches where he was? Was Timothy the employee of Ephesus? And I know that might not seem like a big deal, and, and the church here handles all of this very, very well. But Larry Rouse, an older brother that I, I really respect and has influenced me a lot, he's, he's in a good situation now and he's in North Carolina, but he's been in situations where this was a problem. And when I talked to him on the phone, the way he referred to it, he said, it's like having an animal in a cage that you feed sometimes. And he expounded on that, that it's like when there's micromanaging or uh, a lot of expectations that end up being constraining rather than liberating for an evangelist just to do his work freely. Um, Things like yearly reviews, how many baptisms have you had this past year, things things like that. Um, Just kind of convey the wrong kind of relationship and don't build the right kind of mutual trust between an evangelist and a local church. Um, And again, that can be hard when there's finances obviously involved and, and tax forms 
things like that. So again, not trying to scrutinize any of those things, but more a, a congregation can get to a place where the church is here and the evangelist is below them being managed by the church, and that's just not a biblical or appropriate way to see the work. It's also not to be a scholar. So 1 Timothy 1.5, this to me is like an anthem verse. Uh, as Timothy is told to instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, he says something very profound to Timothy in verse 5. It says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the goal is not just to accumulate knowledge, read all the commentaries, read all the books, memorize everything, but an evangelist is to, I think, obsessively absorb God's word and, and seek knowledge, but in the context that this is equipping a work, right? That this equips for love. It is a, knowledge is a tool to live a godly life, right? Look at chapter 6 and the way that Paul ends his letter to Timothy. Chapter 6, 11 and 12. says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. You made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So again, I have questions here. Did Jesus train his disciples to be scholars? You know, there was a scribe who came to Jesus in Matthew 9. And I think it's important that in Matthew 9, it's emphasized it was a scribe. He said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, the birds have, well, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And I think something noteworthy about that interaction is a scribe may have thought, here's this great new teacher. He's going to make me like a super scribe. You know, I was already trying to absorb the knowledge of God's word and have a lot of good answers, and this is just going to take my occupation to a whole other level. And I think what Jesus was conveying by saying, boxes of holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, it's not just about knowledge. It's about living a sacrificial, hard life. And that's what Paul consistently emphasizes to Timothy, is this isn't just about going into an office, studying for a sermon, and then you come out of your den to deliver what you've learned, and then through the week you go back in to be not seen again until it's time to perform. No, this is somebody who is particularly devoted to the purpose of a godly life, to a life dedicated to relationships. And it does involve teaching. It does involve exhorting, rebuking. But Timothy was to be a model of a sacrificial, devoted life to godly principles. And that was not just to be something that involved knowledge. And so Paul did not train Timothy or Titus just to be scholars. And this may sound strange. This is an analogy I heard again from an older preacher, is that an evangelist's role is to not be like a cook. Because what's the job of a cook? You know, if you go to a restaurant and you don't leave satisfied and happy, if you leave a review, what kind of review are you going to leave? Say, at least it's, it's not going to be five-star, right? Because the goal of a cook is to make sure that if you come there, you get what you want, you leave happy, completely satisfied, feeling really good. Whereas if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, this involves, again, the verse I referenced earlier. And this will bleed into the next point about what the evangelist role is. So Paul exhorts Timothy, I solemnly, solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. And by the way, really quick, 
This is the most intense charge given in the Bible. Jesus nor the apostles ever gave a charge like this. There's something just critically intense about this. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Jesus spoke of his role as a physician. Going to the doctor isn't something that usually feels good. Usually we don't want to do it. We don't want to get the bad news. But the role of the doctor is just tell you the truth and to tell you what you need to hear and oftentimes things you need to hear that you don't want to hear. And I think that's verse 2. Personally, I don't like reproving people or rebuking or even exhorting. All of these involve urging and pushing things that in all likelihood are being neglected, ignored, or don't want to be heard. But, and that's why I think the charge is, is so intense in verse 1, is it's the work of saying what's needed, not what's wanted. And so evangelist's role is more like a physician than it is with a cook. The goal of coming together and hearing a sermon isn't just to hear something very encouraging or to be uplifted. Sometimes it's to be cut deep to the heart. Sometimes it's to be convicted in ways that make you leave with your head down and motivate you to want to make significant, maybe even radical changes to your life, even if they weren't anticipated. Titus 2.15, I'll just point this out really quickly again, retells Timothy similarly, these things speak and exhort, which exhort is like, you know, you're strongly calling someone to take action that they're not already taking and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. That's going to be uncomfortable through this year. But again, the the emphasis is not because you want to, Titus, but because God is demanding it of you. So what what is an evangelist role? So those are kind of like shutting some doors. You know, those, those are not things that the evangelist is really called to be or to do. And I think the first one is um, really a summary of, of everything. I know this is a mouthful. I really thought in the past, like, three weeks really hard about how to word this. And so I, I changed it a lot, but I think this is generally how I would summarize an evangelist teaching role. Because again, it's, it's not just to give information. That's not what we see in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or Titus. And so I would summarize that it's to teach and urge a total devotion to God's kingdom from person to person. You know, when Paul is writing to Timothy and Titus, you also don't see that these are just restricted to public teaching. What seems really more conveyed is that what Paul is saying is these are the kind of personal relationships you need to develop. So although it would bleed into public teaching, I think more than that, what makes this so difficult is these are often what needs to happen in personal conversations (laughs) and things that are a little more personal and unpleasant. Um, It's easier to speak in generalities at a distance. It's a lot harder to have a difficult personal conversation. But in 1 Timothy 1, 1, uh, verses 3 through 4, this would involve being really clear about false teaching, 
And I think if, if a church has an evangelist and there isn't a solemn reverence for the danger of false teaching, then that responsibility would fall on the evangelist, not doing what he's called to do. First uh, Timothy 1 verse 3 says, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. And this is the first thing he tells Timothy, first thing, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. One of an evangelist's highest priorities is we have to get doctrine straight. We need to know the difference between what is sound doctrine, what God's point of emphasis is, what is God's goal with us on a personal level or as a local church, how are we supposed to grow? Again, verse 5, the goal of our instruction is love. But we also need to very clearly understand the nature of false teaching and the danger of it. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. And just to throw in verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So again, a part of the evangelist's role is to have a particular, particular investment and zeal for the truth. And not just a zeal for what is true, but again, cultivating a sense of awareness of the danger of false teachings that pervade our culture. You know, there's a lot of relevant things around us that as we try to interact with people, there are questions people might ask us or things people believe. And it's important that we understand how we can navigate those conversations. And even just as a local church, have a sense of security with what is true and what is practiced here. And it's also to equip maturity and understanding, valuing and utilizing God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, when it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, uh, equipped for every good work. Again, commending the word of God as a tool for godly living. That God's word is not just about understanding certain issues, it's not just about, about knowing the information, but there's a value to God's word in the kind of people it makes us when we follow it and surrender to it. So that leads us to secondly, that in Titus 1.5, he was told to set things in order. And you may think like maybe that means like certain congregational practices, but I think when you read Titus, that's not really the impression that you end up with. So in verse 6 through 9, that Titus is to appoint qualified men to be elders. 10 through 16, Titus is to set in order what faith should be and sound teaching. Chapter 2 again, uh, Titus deals with roles and responsibilities. Chapter 3, relationship to govern governments, being obedient, ready for every good deed, being peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration to all men. So as easy as it is, oftentimes to focus on things that are more measurable, and quantifiable. What I mean by that is like, you know, the church is not a denomination. 
We need to take the Lord's Supper the way it's prescribed in the New Testament. We need to sing without instruments because they're not an authorized practice we see in the New Testament. Things like that, right? I think those things are, are critical. And we need to understand uh, the importance of those things. But I think it's also important we understand the weight that God puts on matters of the heart. Things that are not quite as easy to measure because they deal with, again, roles, relationships, how we mature in, we, in our faith, how we become more godly in our everyday lives. So an evangelist is to teach and urge growth in the way that we obey specifically instructions that pertain to our personal lives. We're to be growing spiritually, becoming more mature, just as Jesus exhorted the disciples in Matthew 16. And Titus and Timothy were to build up leadership in a local church. Again, when you go back to chapter 1, verse 5, when he says appoint elders, I don't think he's saying that Titus is to single-handedly do this, even though it would be an evangelist responsibility, I think the idea is you're working with the local church. You're teaching on it. You're encouraging growth. You're constantly bringing it up. You're praying for it so that an evangelist with a local church can one day appoint elders. And I've embraced that and considered that to be a part of my mission here is one day to appoint elders in the local church here and to be patient with whatever it takes to get to that point to apply, uh, to appoint qualified men. Thirdly, to deal boldly with spiritual problems and sin. Look at Titus 1, 10 through 14. And I think this is a little more of a, a difficult aspect to the work. So Titus 1, uh, 10 through 14, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and just time out. Doesn't that seem harsh? And then look at verse 12, or verse 13. This testimony is true. This is the Apostle Paul saying this. This testimony is true for this reason, and this is an instruction to Titus. Reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. Look at chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. But avoid foolish controversies. And again, these are more direct instructions to, to Titus. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning, being self-condemned. There's a lot of very frank things that are said from Paul to Timothy and to Titus. And the idea that I get is that an evangelist's role is to be more bold and to be more confrontational with matters of ungodliness and pride and, and divisive attitudes. The impression that I get is that it's, it's very natural to tolerate things that we shouldn't. It's very natural to tolerate pride. It's easy to tolerate pride. It's very natural to neglect or to ignore spiritual problems, or even to be just very unaware of aspects of a culture that's being developed that really shouldn't be developing, right? So as, as hard as it is, an evangelist is called to take sin. Think, 
what may often be more seriously than others do in the local church. And so that, I think, can sometimes come off as abrasive, um, but there is a need for it, you know, for someone to be more bold, more straightforward, and more willing to point those things out and to confront them. And then finally, back to 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, 15 through 16. I've mentioned in some sermons the importance of having like a memory verse for something that is very practical and relevant to your life. You know, so if, you know, you're a parent, memorizing a verse that talks about parenting, so that you can just pray about that and dwell on that. If you're husband, wife, whatever, having a verse that you can just memorize and dwell on and pray about. Well, these are, these are my memory verses, right? So these are verses that for me, I've tried to commit to memory and for me um, are a very high calling and define my role and my work. So he tells Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. And then verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. There's a couple things in 15 and 16 that particularly have stuck out to me. The latter part of verse 16, I can't believe how amazing this promise is. I mean, I, I can believe it in that, like, I do believe it. But this has shocked me. He says, if you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Look through the New Testament and find any promise like that. If you do this, you will ensure salvation, not just for you, but for the other people that you're working with. That blows my mind. And so I've really tried to really focus on these verses. And verse 15, what does it mean to take pains with these things? Again, an older evangelist that I respect. A long time ago, I heard him say secondhand. It was, so, it was actually from a younger guy who trained under an older guy, and the younger guy in his sermon was sharing something that was told to him. And this older brother, Barry Kirchville, I really respect uh, Barry. And Barry had told this younger evangelist, uh, Eric Borlaug, he had said, invest yourself to grow as much as possible in your faith in the Lord then share that growth with others. That's your work. So what is the role of an evangelist? It's to be somebody who is particularly sacrificing his life, not to live in the world or to be entangled by the things of the world as irrelatable as that can make an evangelist, as hard as that can make that person to, I don't know, relate to. Um, The role of an evangelist is to be invested to an extreme, in God's will, God's teaching, God's kingdom. So I hope that in this next year we can work together more diligently in that and that I can um, have a greater motive to do that and to be that. Um, I appreciate your attention this morning um, as I went through these things. I hope you found principles in this that have been challenging for you as it is for me. Because um, I, I do hope, as, as weird as this sounds, that I hope that these lessons are challenging because I do think that they will help us grow uh, so much through this year if we really listen and abide in these things. If you're here this morning and you're not a part of God's kingdom, you have nothing. 
The offer of the gospel is everything, more than any of us could ever anticipate. No matter how long we invest ourselves in the gospel and in God's kingdom, we can never anticipate how rich and how rewarding heaven will be. And we give our lives sacrificially on the basis of how clear, how beautiful, how certain that promise is. So if you're not a Christian, I would appeal to you, give your life to the gospel, devote yourself to Jesus, surrender your will, be baptized for the mission of your sins this morning. If there's anything else that we can do for you this morning, please make it known while we stand and sing.